from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast. We're going to be talking UNC game and doing some question and answer stuff, addressing some things in advance of the Louisville uh, breakdown that we're going to be doing tomorrow, that we'll release tomorrow. But This show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. So one of the benefits of covering multiple teams is that when those teams play, you get a chance to look a little bit more closely at a game uh, than you would in other weeks because, well, you're looking at it from both sides of the ball. And I, I've gone back and taken a look at, uh, at quite a bit from the Florida State-North Carolina game from both sides of the ball. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot to think about there. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. For one thing, the chess match between Mike Norvell on the offensive side and Jay Bateman on the defensive side was really, really good. And uh, and something I'm actually going to be revisiting once I get the coaches film, hopefully this summer. And uh, I'm definitely going to want to see some of those those changes that were made in the second half in particular. But uh, but yeah, there's there were a lot of things there. I, I have to say, Norvell came into this game really really well prepared to take advantage of a few things that uh, that Bateman does, and where North Carolina has some weaknesses on their defense. The, the thing that really stood out most is on that drive where it was a 90-yard drive that ended up in a in a field goal, the one where uh, Pokey Wilson had the long catch that he stepped out of bounds around the four or five-yard line. Uh, that that drive was pivotal, and it really was two plays. It was a, uh, a that little throwback pop pass to the tight end, and then it, that, that deep post route on a post-over concept, which is exactly, by the way, what we talked about on the preview podcast. But on that post-over con- uh, concept against a uh, against a safety, there are a few things that Norvell did with with formation and just overall motion uh, using the quarterback in the uh, in the boot game, uh, or actually it's a little rollout, not so much a boot, but uh, quarterback on those little half rolls that he used to to take advantage of some tendencies there, and really hit North Carolina in the teeth there and, and, you know, kind of got, uh, he got Bateman on the one, uh, for sure. Schematically, you, you think about that, that post route, they used a nub formation, which is where you put a, a tight end into the boundary with nobody outside him, knowing that Carolina had a tendency to bring the corner off of that edge. And then basically that means that the backside safety is going to be responsible for anything from the tight end. Well, then all you have to do is make sure that the tight end occupies that guy and you can throw it right over him and you've got all that field. And if you've got a fast player that's matched up against that other safety, he doesn't have any additional help. That that other safety can't run with Pokey Wilson. So that becomes about the easiest throw in football for uh, for Jordan Travis there. And I broke this down more more specifically on the Patreon page, but it's a, it's a really good little uh, little wrinkle that, again, it's just subtle things. It's nothing special. It's just... Do well. It's a lot of special stuff, but it's not special stuff that you notice. It's doing stuff with formation, doing stuff to cause just a little bit of problem based on what the defense is is going to be able to going to be able to give you against that look. 
and getting the matchup that you want and being able to take that shot. And that was definitely a player's, uh, you know, I know who I want to get the, get the ball to. I'm going to take my shot here. That kind of play where he's calling a play for players, not not so much about plays, because that was going to Pokey Wilson pretty much the whole way. And the only way that doesn't go to Pokey is if that backside safety just decides to completely drop back and abandon the over route, at which point you throw that over route. No problem. So uh, so really nicely done, nicely designed. And the run game stuff, really, really interesting stuff, too, in terms of the variety of two things. One is the variety of offensive uh, calls that they use to get Jordan, Jordan Travis on the edge to uh, to get the running backs. Uh, the ball in space. They used a lot of the G concept, which is one of my favorites in their offense going up against a, uh, an odd front or a, um, uh, a tight look like what North Carolina used a lot of because they, they wanted to get some bulk in the box against, against Florida state as much as possible going up against that. Look, the G concept is really hard to stop. And, and uh, it's an old concept that, that Tom Osborne used a ton of it's just, all you're doing is you're pulling the guard to the same side. So you're pulling the guard to get outside the tight end and you can do that with a, with an extra tight end. You can do a lot of different things and they, they used it a few different ways and really caused some problems for North Carolina on that, with that play. And it took North Carolina adjusting in the second half to, uh, to be able to take some of that away. But there, there were a lot of little things, just little wrinkles in the run game that Norvell used to, uh, to take advantage of North Carolina's lack of personnel in certain cases. And, uh, and most of all, I think if you, and this is the second thing, in addition to the scheme stuff, Florida State's offensive line played really well. And yes, you know, we talked in the pregame that that North Carolina's defensive line had some significant weaknesses and could be taken advantage of. But I mean, when was the last time that you that you watched a game against a power five foe, let alone a a, a legit ranked team where you said, man, Florida State's offensive line dominated this game? And to be honest, Florida State's offensive line just flat out won that matchup and gave a lot of a lot of space for the running game in that in that game. So and and that's that I tell you what, Alex Atkins deserve that guy needs to to be locked down for a multi-year contract with a buyout, man. Because you do not want him leaving for any sort of lateral move. That that guy's really, really good at what he does. And some of the things that really stood out most is the offensive line's ability to combo block. And that's something that, you know, that that also goes back to last year. And they, you know, they worked really hard on on double teams last year. They didn't do as much comboing where they where they would actually be able to get to climb to the second level because what they were tr- just trying to do is just can we start to get to where fundamentally we can actually double team? Well, they not only have gotten that down, now they're combo blocking and they're getting to the second level and you can see how much of a difference that's making. Uh, Robert Scott, I, I'd said it when he first played against Miami, he looked really good. He looked even better in this game. Looks really solid. You just hope he can get through the year without any sort of injury, without any sort of getting dinged up because if he can have a full off season and really get caught up, in terms of strength and catching up to the college game, like he needs to with a really good off season, that guy could be, you know, pushing into one of the maybe you know third team All ACC, second team All ACC as a as a sophomore because he's he's got a really good chance of being a, a quality player. Uh, although he'd actually be a freshman by eligibility. I mean, he's got this this year doesn't count. Remember, so 
I mean, that guy's going to be really good and, and good for a while as long as he can stay healthy. Uh, moves well, and the length is there. That, that was a really good late addition in recruiting there for Florida State. Uh, and, and this offensive line, I mean, they, they have done their job, and it's amazing what a difference it, it, it makes to have a quarterback like Jordan Travis who is not sitting back there counting seconds, begging them, begging to get sacked. He's helped this offensive line look better, and they've then blocked even better as they've gained in confidence. And you could really see that in this game. Uh, and that, and that's something else that I, I've noticed. I noticed in this game about Jordan Travis, and it's a it's a plus about a quarterback uh, in general is that he doesn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, and you can see that actually on that on that deep post route. That's a route where I'm pretty confident that that Blackman probably gets sacked. Because North Carolina brought a blitz, and you, you they actually had a guy get, come free against uh, against Dante Lucas, who who missed his block. He actually tried to hold on it and didn't didn't do so very well. But Travis basically just chucked that ball out there. He did not take time to set up and take a look around or whatever. He knew that guy was going to be open, and he just needed to get the ball into that area, and he did it. He just, look, he, he was basically playing, I don't know if any of you guys growing up or, you know, ladies who listen, I know I've got quite a few uh, women who also listen to this show as well, but I don't know if any of you uh, played uh, 500 growing up or whatever you might have called it, where, you know, basically everybody lines up in a, in a crowd and then somebody, you know, yells the value of the, of the throw and you throw it in there and whoever catches it gets that many points. And then once you get 500 points then you know, that person becomes the new thrower. Well, you know, that, uh, that's the kind of throw that he made here where it's like 500 and just chucked it out there and just let his guy go get it. And that's the thing where you can't let the, in on that kind of shot play, you can't let the, the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. And you know, that's where, Unfortunately, Blackman had had been so gun shy because of all of the negative stuff that he's been through that he 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 was having trouble with that sort of thing where it's recognize it and just get it out there. It doesn't have to be that accurate. Just put it out there. <laughs> and you know, he probably would have gotten sacked there because he would have wanted to double check and double clutch and 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 uh, and then put out a an accurate a really accurate throw when all that's really needed is just a zip code throw and and that's something that Travis I think we've seen from him is his willingness to kind of get on the edge and play on the edge and take some of those zip code throws it doesn't have to be perfect it's kind of in the in the frame or in in the in the vicinity and I'm going to let my guy go make a play and that's that's kind of the the football that they've been playing. And that's been good for Florida State. They've got athletes. They've got guys that can make those plays when you put it out there. And he's he's had some success doing that. So uh, so those are some things on the, on the offensive side that really stood out after looking back at this uh, and thinking through how the game kind of went. That said, I do think Florida State was to some degree pretty lucky that they won this game. And not just because North Carolina dropped the ball at the uh, at the end of the at the end of the game that would have given them a fourth down conversion and a, and a really good shot to at least tie it with the, with the tying field goal. It's, it's that if you think about it, not only was this win really dependent on having one key situations, which that's really, you, you have to win those situations. When was the last time Florida state won the key situations to win a game that they weren't favored, that, that they weren't favored in first of all, or that they were over uh, otherwise outplayed in. You have to win those games. That's how you build a program is that is you start 
winning situations. And then you build your confidence and then you start winning full games where you also win those situations. But if you're losing situations, a lot of times it doesn't even matter if you're the better team through the game. It doesn't. It just doesn't matter. Because what matters is those keys. Do do you step up and, and make that game-changing interception or do you drop it? Do you get your hand on the football on, on a punt block or do you just you know, just slightly go by and miss. Do you make that play or not? And that's the difference between winning and losing more often than not. And Florida State made those plays in this game. And that's going to go a long way toward team confidence. But at the same point, the defense, even though it made a few plays and that that pick six by Kando most most of all, and they got some stops, the defense still struggled a, a, a decent amount. And some of that's just North Carolina being really good on offense. I mean, they once North Carolina figured out that they could that they should have just been picking on Florida State's linebackers downfield and going after the number two corner, Florida State's defense was in trouble because they were able to get space on the uh, in the middle of the field and they were able to cause some serious problems for that second corner. Now that said, I think Florida State may have found a second corner in Dotson because he was in position to make those plays. He just he wasn't able to make those plays because he was up against a guy that's better, way bigger and a better player overall than him. Six foot three plus uh, Bo Corrales for North Carolina just went up and mossed him a couple times. Well, you know, that's going to happen. But at least he was in position and his footwork was good. I am concerned about the overall footwork and, and technique of some of the some of the corners. Asante Samuel is is basically perfect, but, you know, he's been schooled by his dad to play that position since he was a boy. So, you know, you you don't even have to, you, you can't use him as an example of what, the, what they've basically been getting coaching-wise for the last few years. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he's such a good player, despite the fact that they didn't even have a corners coach on the roster, uh, on, on the coaching roster, aside from, uh, from defensive coordinator Harlan Barnett, when Barnett really wanted to have an additional guy there to, to, to be able to give that focus. Well, those guys didn't have it. Samuel's technique was still perfect. And... That's because, well, look at who look at who his dad is, right? Well, if you look at Florida State right now, some of these guys, their footwork's not very good, and their eye discipline at corner needs to improve at the uh, among the other guys. Asante is, you know, he's playing like an NFL player. The rest of them, well, you know, there's some talent there, but what I keep seeing is lazy feet, and that's something I'm going to put up uh, another video. I'll probably put it up on Friday about technique in terms of what you need to see from Florida State's corners to be better on uh, at that other spot. And the, the the thing that I keep seeing every time I see replays there is I keep hearing Mickey Andrews yelling, that ain't no motor mirror, give me a bear crawl. Because, look, if, if guys in his day had not moved their feet the way that Florida State's corners have in press coverage, Mickey would have had an aneurysm. Because and he would have yelled at him that that's no motor mirror. That's not how you mirror a guy because he wanted the feet to be going up and down and guys to be matching leverage and you can't get impatient and, and lunge. You can't leave your feet frozen and Florida State's corners have been doing both. And that's why they're getting beat on the on the outside right now. They're the, the discipline and, and the foot foot uh, movement is not is not great. They're not handling their their business in terms of maintaining their leverage and mirroring correctly based on what the receiver is showing them off the line of scrimmage and that's not good. Now, Dotson is the best of them in terms of that. And I was encouraged by his positioning there and that's why I think right now he's probably your best option at that spot just because he's the one guy that's shown 
that he's moving his feet and putting himself in position to make those plays. And against most guys, he's going to make those plays. He just, you know, he got his hand on the ball on the one, but you know, you got a guy that's six inches taller than you and has that much more reach as well. And, you know, he's just going to be able to snatch it over you. So, uh, so that's one part. The linebackers were still a bit of a work in progress, but this is the, this was the best along with Notre Dame. These were the two best rushing, rushing teams that Florida state was going to play this year. They're not going to play another team that can run the ball like those two. And I'm including Clemson there. ETN's really, really good, but Clemson's offensive line is not really appreciably better than North Carolina's. I don't think it is better than North Carolina's. It's definitely not better than Notre Dame's. And I think Carolina's two running backs are as good as any that Florida State will play. So you you basically look at those last two weeks, and Florida State's had to kind of come through the fire against teams that can really run the football. And they did okay. Okay, I guess against North Carolina in that respect, they struggled still. They gave up too many, but much better than what you saw against North Carolina or against uh, Notre Dame. And they just need to build on what they what they what they got there. So uh, maybe the most encouraging thing for that, the most encouraging development of that, was how how good Dennis Briggs looked on a single week of practice. And just his addition is going to force some guys to play better and play harder just to be just to make sure that they stay on the field because he'll start stealing minutes. He's going to take a bunch of reps just because he his energy level and his overall uh, ability to create some havoc was really helpful. And and actually not being fat <laughs> was uh, was it seemed to be uh, a benefit for him there. So imagine. I want to pause for a moment and thank Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Over 90% of homebuyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective homebuyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. And the other thing, again, just got to tip your cap to the special teams guys for getting it done and making sure that they uh, that they put the, the team in, in the best position to win. I mean, again, without outstanding special teams play they're they're not even in the game against Georgia Tech and they certainly don't win this one so that's that's going to go a long way and with Travis J back that guy's going to take one to the house at some point so it's going to be interesting to see what's what things are going to look like with Hamza Nasiruddin in the back in the in in the in the fold at the safety position and how that rotation goes I still think that they could probably shuffle some guys around but Things looked much more encouraging. Looked like they were starting to figure out what they're supposed to be doing up front, and and uh, starting to figure out a little bit of their assignments and getting more confident in that. And if they can stop thinking and start reacting, then it'll be interesting to see how 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 good this defense could get in the second half of the year. So that that's really interesting to me. I'm gonna go ahead and shift over now to some question and answer that came out of this game gotten a bunch of stuff online so uh and and through patreon so i'm going to go ahead and answer some of this stuff so the first question is uh do you think norvell plays purdy this week gives him some packages <sighs> i'm gonna guess that they don't go into the louisville week with any anything for for purdy at this point specific uh i would say at this point unless Travis has to go out with an injury that they'll wait to bring Purdy out until after Clemson. Uh, 
just to give him more time to heal and to ensure that they're giving him the best shot based on getting preparation and all of that. So yeah, I think, I think it'll take a little bit of time to do that. Now, if Travis gets hurt, then all bets are off. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's going to, it's still going to be a little while before Purdy's really ready, but if Travis gets hurt or has to, has to go out of the game, you have to start thinking about what the next option is. And, you know, if Purdy's cleared, he's probably got to be the next guy. So next question, since Purdy is the future, which I don't know that we know that for sure. Do you think Norvell knows he has to get him reps this year and possibly start him? I, I don't think so. And again, I think the reasoning there is if he is the future, the last thing you want to do is ruin him. So you only want to play him if he's ready. You only want to play him if he's able to step in. And first of all, you don't want to play him if he's not going to be an improvement over the guy that you've got. Second of all, you don't want to play him if he's going to pee down his leg and not really handle the, the pressure well and develop all sorts of difficult uh habits to break that happen when guys aren't really prepared. And again, you can just look at James Blackman, who has been totally screwed over by the situation, the coaching situations that he's been through as an example of that. So you just don't want that to happen to him. So no, you don't have to get him. You don't have to possibly start him. I think by the end of the year, you want to get him some opportunities in some games, you know, a few series here or there, that sort of thing. But you don't, you don't want to mess with it too much. All right, next question. Is it safe to say the offensive line is the most improved uh, position group through the first four games of the year? Yeah, I think that's pretty safe. Yeah, no doubt. And actually, for first five games, yeah. Through the first five games, oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's by far, that might be the most improved position group in the country. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, next question. Travis has been a great option and a much needed spark for the offense this year. I do see him eventually getting passed up because of his throwing limitations. At the same time, it is clear that he is a dynamic football player that you want on the field. How do you see the staff using him in the future if he's not the starting quarterback? Ooh, that's a good question. So here's the thing. If he's not the starting quarterback, the first thing that you want to think about, or the first thing is you want to actually be really happy that that's the case. Because that means that they're getting somebody that's playing that much better. That's that much better than Travis. And if you're getting that, then all of a sudden this team looks that much better. I mean, that's saying a lot because he's been playing really well. So if, if, if you've got somebody who, who wins the job or who takes the job from him, that guy's going to have to really perform to take the job from him. They're, at this point, with Travis established as a leader of this offense, with this team that believes in him, with a situation where you're winning games with him, even if you've got a guy that's more talented behind him, you don't necessarily give that guy the job. You can't just say, well, you know, I think this guy's going to give us more, so I'm just going to make the switch. You can't do that because it'll ruin your team. And I mean, actually, that, that North Carolina went through a similar situation to that a few years ago with Marquise Williams and Mitch Trubisky. And I knew the coaching staff there, and they knew from the time that Trubisky was a, a freshman, that he was the better player. Marquise Williams was a limited player who you, you, they could only do so much with, but they took his, they, 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 they had to play him the year before because he, uh, because their, their starter that year had gotten hurt. And then Marquise Williams came in and they went on a win, they went on a winning streak and the team began to believe. 
And some of the win streak was in spite of Marquise Williams, but he didn't lose games. And he, you know, he warriored up and made plays with his feet and, and, and other things, even when he didn't make, wasn't able to make them with his arm or his head. And so then they get into the next year. And what do you do? You know, they, they, they recruited this guy they really believed in and Trubisky, who was, they knew was going to be at worst, a really good college quarterback was probably a, a, a pro guy, guy who's going to start some games in the NFL There are not many of those guys. They knew they had that guy, but do you just make the switch, rip the bandaid off and tell the team? Yeah, I know you believe in this guy, but, um, and I know you've won with him and I know you you're having success with him, but, uh, this is, this is the better player. That's something you can't do. And Jimbo Fisher used to talk about this, that teams have to pick their quarterback. You know who it is because of who the team trusts and who, who moves the football. So, you know, it's not so much that the coach picks it all the time. Now, you, you know, if there's any doubt, the coach has to make that call. But here's the thing. If you win, let's say you win. Let's imagine that Florida State wins every game for the remainder of the year minus Clemson. And you're going to go into next year and you're going to say, yeah, we're going to start the year and we're going to have a new a new guy at quarterback. What do you think the response is is going to be to that on the on the roster? That's going to be a hard sell. That's a hard sell, guys, because you just won with this guy. You trust this guy. You've been following this guy. How about that guy? I don't know. Now, in some cases, you can do that. Clemson did this a few years ago. They had a guy that was, you know, more of an incumbent. He was ready to go. And then Deshaun Watson gets there and you go, mm. you know, okay, that guy's better. Everybody on the team knew it. And that even more happened with <laughs> the guy that's currently there, the elf. When Trevor Lawrence showed up at Clemson, they had an established player, a guy who had taken them to a national championship game. <laughs> they, they knew they could win with that guy. I mean, they'd. They'd gone to the national championship game. They'd made the college football playoff and made it to the championship game with that guy at quarterback. Or was that the semifinal? Either way, they made it to the college football playoff with, with Bryant, right? So with Kelly Bryant at quarterback, they knew they could win. And then Trevor Lawrence showed up and everybody on the team knew, okay, that guy is a lot better than Kelly Bryant. The only guy who seemed not to be so sure of that was Kelly Bryant. And I can guarantee you that he himself kind of, he kind of knew. You don't let yourself believe it, but you kind of know. And so the coaches, you know, they start working that guy in and giving him some snaps here and there. And the handwriting's on the wall when they start scoring when Lawrence is on the field. And they're not scoring as much when, when, uh, when Bryant is on the field. And eventually that, that position changes. That's how you have to do it. Because if you just say, okay, well, we got this high, high profile freshman here. We're going to replace the guy who just took us to the college football playoff with this guy because he's just better. You can't do it. You just can't hand guys jobs. So if Jordan Travis makes it through the rest of this year healthy and they continue to have success with him, somebody's going to have to be that much obviously better than him in the spring and in fall camp to make a switch. And odds are, even, even if somebody is better than him, you're going to have to kind of bring that guy in in packages and so on before finally making the switch. So that that's first and foremost. Secondly, if he does get passed up because of those throwing limitations, and again, if you've got a guy like this who's winning games for you this way, you can have a guy that has throwing limitations. I mean, Auburn got to the national championship game with Nick Marshall, who is very similar in a lot of ways to, uh, to Jordan Travis. Travis, maybe not, not as strong an arm as, as Marshall, but very similar player. 
You can make it pretty far with that kind of player. So if he, but if he does get passed up because of his throwing limitations, let's say Brock Purdy or Altmaier, someone in the future, just outplays him in the spring, outplays him in the fall, very clearly passes him up eventually. What then happens with Travis? As you said, he's a dynamic player. I think what you have to do is you have to start putting him in that slash role. He becomes a guy that you, you saw what they did with him in the in the Miami game where they lined him up in the slot. They lined him up at running back. I think that's what you start doing. You put him at, at the at the three position in their offense where he moves into the backfield at times and he moves into the slot at times and you direct snap it to him for running game stuff and then you throw with him sometimes and you just use him as a slash player which really is probably where his future is in the NFL. I mean, he's not, he's not going to be an NFL quarterback. So really, what, what can he do? Well, your best bet is to have him at slot and in the, in the backfield and so on, because then you, you get that, the benefits of arguably your best running back, your best slot receiver as is right now playing quarterback. Well, there you go. You, now you give him the chance to do some of those things. And if you have a quarterback that's, that's that much better than him, then you're getting better at, at multiple positions. So, you know, you hope if you're Florida State that that happens because that means that you got really good at quarterback. This segment is brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the top rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to Home Advisor and Angie's List. They're licensed and insured and have been serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. So if you need painting and drywall work or overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, cabinets, shelving, slot wall, accessories for anything you have, call Nathan at Garage Makeovers for all of your storage and organizational needs you'll have the best garage in the neighborhood. Information in the show notes. Let them know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Okay, the next question. I agree that Dotson is showing he's the number two corner on this roster. So where does that leave, leave Akeem Dent? Obviously, he had some rough outcomes against UNC in an earlier games. One of the allowed touchdowns was against a big-bodied, talented wide receiver going up and making a play. But the other was Dent and press man staring into the backfield, which is not good. Seems like he's regressed since his arrival. When he, was, when he first got to campus, they were des so desperate to get him on the field that they played him at safety. Could he move back? Seems like he's got a physicality that, if developed, could be useful around the line of scrimmage. Got actually a second one on this as well that said, you know, it may Harlan Barnett was no idiot, and he put Akeem Dent at safety to begin with for a reason. Do you think that that really is where he should be? Well, I think he's capable of playing the field, field safety position in this, in this defense, but I think he really is best suited to play corner. You, recru you recruited him as a, as a borderline five-star corner because of his capacity at that spot. And his tools are still there. But it's a matter of getting the techniques and the discipline down, the eye discipline down, to play that position well. And you know, right now, he's not playing with a lot of confidence out there, and he's not playing with great technique. I, I think he has the traits. He's got the suddenness. He's got the, the, the size and the length and all that to be a really good corner. But you can't play corner well if you're not patient, if you're not moving your feet, and if your eyes aren't disciplined. And right now, he's none of the above. So I think it, I th it's way too early to give up on him. I mean, this is, his, this is year two, and the physical traits haven't gone anywhere. And remember, he's coming off an of injury, too. So the physical traits will be there. And Dotson's not going to be in Tallahassee forever. I mean, he's he, yes, this year doesn't count, so he could come back next year as well. But Dent has another two, three years. To, to play in Tallahassee. So I just think it's way too early to give up on him at corner. Same thing with Jerry and Jones. I've seen enough traits from Jerry and Jones that he can be a player. But again, you, 
you have to get the technique right. You have to make sure that your eye discipline is there. You have to make sure that your feet are mirroring correctly. And that's just going to take reps and a lot of practice to really get there and, and do what they need to do. And they're going to need to be properly coached up. And that's something that we're just going to see. We're going to, we're going to see how that goes. All right. Final question of the episode. Just watch the counter read breakdown on Patreon. I'm seeing a lot of overlap in Norvell's run concepts with Lincoln Riley and what he's done in the run game to define his brand of the air raid. Or is that all just Malzahn and I can't tell the difference? No, you are right. You are correct, sir. You are you are not you are not missing this. This is not a Gus Malzahn thing and you can't tell the difference. You are absolutely correct. The counter read that I broke down on Patreon for this week is absolutely a Lincoln Riley staple. He will run that play to death. He will run it until you stop it. And they ran the heck out of it when they had quarterback a quarterback on the field who could really run. And, and the last two years, you look at that with uh, with Jalen Hurts last year, who is limited as a thrower, right? But could play like a running back. And then also the prior year when they had the current starter in in uh, in the NFL in Arizona, well, they ran the heck out of it with him too. Now, it looked a little different with him because he's a different kind of runner and also can really throw the football. But Jalen Hurts and, 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 uh, and Jordan Travis have... There's there's some decent similarities there. Again, Hurts a little bit better as a thrower, but not my not by miles. And Hurts also a stronger runner, but but uh, but Travis maybe a little quicker, maybe a little faster. So that's the kind of thing that, that Lincoln Riley ran to death with those guys. And what is Mike Norvell doing? Well, he's pulling a page right out of Lincoln Riley's playbook. And well. I'm just going to tell you that a number of the pages of Lincoln Riley's playbook have have found their way into the into the playbook of Mike Norvell. And this goes back to what I said in the in the in the uh, offseason when Mike Norvell got hired and I, I was going through and and learning his offense and I said, "Look, Norvell is built his offense. Norvell's offense is built on a Malzahn foundation. That's where he first started coach he coached under Nor, under under Malzahn. But he has built on the Malzahn foundation He's kind of forked the offense. If you want to think about this in you know software terms, he's got a, the 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 Norvell fork of that open source software, as it were. The Norvell fork of the Malzahn tree has gone in the Lincoln Riley air raid and NFL direction. And this is what I said back then. He's he has there's a lot of this offense that is pulled straight out of what they do at Oklahoma. So it's a Malzahn base for lots of things in terms of the base terminology, some of the the basic formation stuff that they're going to do and all of that. And then he's built on that with a lot more run concepts from the Riley tree. And also there's a lot of NFL stuff. So he's combined the kind of Riley air raid tree, which is kind of a more NFL power run approach to the air raid with a lot of NFL concepts and particularly stuff that you're going to see with the Rams with Sean McVay. You're going to see a lot of McVay stuff in some of the downfield passing stuff and also in some of the run game, the way that they the way that they call some of the run game and some of the angles that they'll take in the in the run game is like that. And then there's a lot of stuff that they pull from Lincoln Riley and, and they studied Riley stuff. I mean, there's some stuff that in their offense is called various things because of where they got it because it's it's Riley stuff and they they just pulled the pulled the terminology. So yeah, there's a lot of Lincoln Riley stuff in in Norvell's offense because they studied 
his stuff. They studied with him and they, uh, and they pulled some of their favorite stuff straight over. And some of the, uh, some of the, the, particularly the guards pulling stuff that you're going to see some of the, the counter read power read and some of the things that they do there, the ways that they do them are very much Lincoln Riley type stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the G stuff that they did they, and they really hurt North Carolina with the G concept, uh, in this game. So, you know, that stuff is very much Riley, very much Sean McVay. And then some of the downfield play action stuff, again, pulled from both of those guys and, and the NFL tree that you're the NFL type stuff that you're getting on the McVay side and, uh, the college stuff, the air raid type stuff, but it's the simplified iterated air raid version that you're getting from Riley. So it's not a full air raid, but it's got air raid concepts the way that they're simplified and coached by, uh, by Riley, as opposed to by Mike Leach. So, and, and I, one of the things that I talked about on Patreon earlier this, this summer is the way that they coach mesh, uh, which is a, an air raid staple. They coach it more like Riley does and like the NFL does and not like Leach does, which means that you, you need thousands fewer reps to get it right. And they've done that so that they can have that much more in the offense as opposed to just working that one thing over and over and over and over and over again, which is really what Leach is, is good at and what he emphasizes. They want to have a little bit more variety. And so they pull in the concept and they simplify it just a little bit. And then that just becomes one piece of what they do. And so that's and that's one of Norvell's strengths. And, and, and really, if you think about this offense, they have a lot in this offense. I mean, it's, it's Fisher-esque in that respect in that they have a, a there's a lot of variety in what they what they bring to the table but they do a great job of simplifying it when they teach it and incorporating stuff from other coaches and from other other things and still making it so that it's really a part of their larger system that works in the context of their larger system and that they can still teach it not as a wholly new thing but as a same as concept which is what their their big teaching point is. That's how they keep everything simple is everything is same as. So, okay, when, when you do this, when we call this, that for you is same as this, everything's same as in that, in that context. And that's a big part of how they teach, but we'll go ahead and wrap there. As always, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. And as of this week, we have two new patrons at that level as well. And that is Jonathan Kennedy. And I really hope I get this name correctly. Please email me with the uh, with the right pronunciation if I didn't get it right. That is Tyler Kashishke. Very much thanks to both of you for adding in at that level. And thanks to all the Patreon supporters for your support. And if you all have been enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star review up and tell a friend. Love to have the extra listeners and the extra company helps a bunch. Thanks as always. This has again been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>